what the Lord was sharing with me yesterday. Now, um, I have been called machine gun preacher. You just name it. I've been called it that I can peel the potatoes and shuck the corn and all that. And someone posted on, I'm telling you all this reason, someone posted on my Facebook after listening to one of our um, po- our web, what do you call that, Austin? Yeah, that. And um, they said, holy blood of God, you can preach. I thought, now that is an interesting comment. But at any rate, I don't know that I'm going to be preaching this morning, but I'm going to share what the Lord has for us. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God's got a word for you today. And he does. I want to read to you out of John 3 and 11. You stay in Acts 16. We must testify. Say we must testify. Of the things we have seen and the things we have heard. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you've got to testify of the things you have seen and the things you have heard. You can't keep any of that to yourself. That's not the will of God. What you have seen God do in your lifetime through you. Has anyone seen God do anything in your life in your lifetime? Come on. The things that you have heard that you know to be true and factual. We have to testify with our life. And all, all too often, that is the story of our life. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we get ready to read from Acts 16. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us. We thank you for speaking through me. And we open our hearts and our ears. We reverence the word of God. We reverence what you have to say to us, Holy Spirit. With reverential fear, we know the word can do for us what Oprah can do, what TV can't do, what the world can't do. Surely no politician can do for us, but your word and your anointing, Holy Spirit. So we welcome you into this house and we ask you to speak to us in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Acts 16, reading in verse 22, it says, then the multitude rose up together against them. Everyone say Paul and Silas and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes, and many translations say, when they had laid many wounds, everyone say many wounds, bruises and scars, say that, bruises and scars, they were bloody, they were bloody from the beaten. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, in verse 24, the jailer put them into the inner prison. Someone say inner prison. And fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But verse 28, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. Everyone say, do yourself no harm for we are all here. And you can leave it open right there. This is not completely where Paul wanted to be. But I believe in this day, in this age where you and I are, whether we are at Walmart or whether we are on an airplane or whether we are walking through a corridor, God is strategically, or whether you are working or at school, he is strategically positioning you and I to save a life. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God has positioned you to save a life. 
And often when we think about that in this passage, through the anointing of God and through Paul sharing his life, God rescues this jailer. Not only does God rescue this jailer, but he rescues his whole family. He rescues, that comes in just a moment at the end of the passage. In this moment when Paul was positioned somewhere, he didn't want to be. Am I the only one that's ever been positioned somewhere you didn't want to be? Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, you've been there too. You've been there too, where you've been positioned strategically somewhere you don't want to be. Now, they got put in the inner prison. Say that again, the inner prison and stalks around their feet. They're already bleeding. Their skin is like hamburger. They're hurting. This is not one of those messages about shouting in the Holy Ghost, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance sermon. I've done that out of this passage, but that's not where I am today. I'm about you sharing your life with someone that their life might be saved. Contrary to the humanist, contrary to every TV show, life is not just about you and me, but we are here as God's answers to save a life. Look at your neighbor again and say, neighbor. You've been strategically positioned to save a life. Your story. John said, we've got to testify of the things that we have seen and we have heard. And it's funny, all the things we don't want to testify about. The things that we don't want to tell people about. Here's Paul. And let me tell you how he got there. Someone say the will of God. Sometimes the will of God will get you positioned somewhere you didn't want to be. Sometimes you find yourself somewhere you don't want to be and you think, where did I make the wrong turn? There was no wrong turn in this passage. He was placed there to save a life. You see, in the dark inner prisons of your soul and my soul, in the dark inner prisons of days and moments and seasons that we see no advancement, we see only it seems retreat, we see no progress, we feel nothing at times, but we have been put in a shelf in a dark room where no one knows what is being made from me and made out of me and what's going to pour through me. But I love the vessel that God chooses to use that when he reaches in, Tom, he doesn't reach in to the bright one with a shellac. Come on now. The potter who is forming and making something amazing out of your life and my life that he might pour. Someone say that he might pour his glory into that vessel. Knows what he's making. We used to do a song. I think we learned it from Chosen, but um, the potter's hands and all of these like puppets would come alive on the stage and they would begin to move and to flow with the potter. That's what God is trying to get to come out of you. But the sweetest songs, the sweetest song, the greatest play that ever be played, the greatest drum that will ever be beat, the greatest testimony that will ever come will come from moments of inner prisons of your life. Those hours, those seasons, when it seems that things aren't advancing, when it seems things are dark. Oh, it's easy to praise God in the light. Come on, somebody. I was telling with the Hope House girls that Barbara, Pastor Barbara, and please be in prayer for Jennifer. And she's going through a season that her marriage is not coming together. And uh, she's still trying to adopt those little boys. Please be praying about that. And Barbara's got her hands full. She texted me late last night and said, I'm exhausted and weary. Jennifer's still in Florida. And I said, well, just think about Sarah. She said, yeah, but Sarah had 10 handmaids. And I said, yeah, probably, but still think about Sarah. Come on, somebody. 
But we were traveling. We were in Gulf Shores, and uh, I preached twice that day, and it was a day when there was deliverances. People, Kathy Payne, if you ever work, Angela, you have the same birthday as Kathy Payne. If you ever work with Kathy Payne in an altar, she takes her time. It's never a cattle rush. And uh, we'd been in Gulf Shores. I've traveled overseas and in the country, as you know, with that great, awesome woman of God from Church God of Prophecy. And we'd been praying for people. And I mean, things were just coming out of people and going hundreds and hundreds of women. It was late. We went back and Barbara and I, she was my assistant at that time, went into my room and it was a rustic room. And we got in bed and we were both sleeping in a big bed. And it was kind of out in the country and secluded. And she said, in the middle of the night, she said, all of a sudden, I got up and started kneeling on the bed, and my hands started going round and around on the bed. And I said, skittle-marinky, skittle-marinky, scat, you little demon. I see you in here right now, and you need to scat, cat, scat, cat, scat, cat. And um, I said, I see you. No one else sees you. Totally asleep. Barbara said, she sat straight up in the bed. And all of a sudden, she felt this amazing dark presence in the room and said, then she heard it pump, 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 and go out the door. She said, she looked over me. I went right back to sleep and started snoring again and never knew the next day what had happened. I'm going to tell you, that's a hilarious story, but she stayed up the rest of the night looking through the peephole to see if the skilly scaly cat was going to come back in because there was nothing in there. But this is why I tell you that story, because the Lord in the middle of the sleep knew where darkness was. You see, in light, it's easy to say, if God be for me, who can be against me? It's easy easy to say in the times when we're being shellacked in the glory and God is using us in unprecedented manners to say all oh, the glory of the Lord fills this temple and to give out shouts of praise and glory and those shouts are powerful but I'm going to tell you the songs that get my attention and the song that saved a life in this story came from a man whose body was bloody who was broken who was in the inner prison 300 feet below ground level when those songs come forth. You see when you get frustrated, when you get discouraged in the dark moments of your life, let me tell you something. God had somebody in mind. You mean God put Paul in the prison? No, I'll tell you what happened in a moment. No, God didn't put Paul in a prison, but God was waiting in the prison when Paul walked through the door. And there is never a dark moment, an unanswered question, a corridor of a season in your life when you cannot make out what God is doing that God is not already there and I'm going to tell you those seasons in my life are the seasons that the songs that through me have ministered the most the words through me that have ministered the most have come from the dark seasons of the lower prison when my hands were in fetters come on somebody when my feet were shackled when if I had said glory to God no one would have heard me. But in those dark moments of the soul is when songs and words and character and anointing is developed that when it's let full release and God puts it through you, in you, and for you, it's those moments that people say, what must I do to know your Savior? If you can come forth with a word like that and an anointing like that and a song out of your brokenness, I must know the God that you serve. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. I remember one of those dark moments of my soul. I was thinking about this last night as I was meditating coming home and just had time to just worship and listen to one song 27 times over and over again. Cried so hard. 
driving down the interstate, just, just, just crying as the glory of God filled my car. A very needed moment I needed. Didn't ask for it, but it came. But it had been asking for it a long time before it came. And I was thinking last night about City of Faith, Oral Roberts, and how he built that incredible City of Faith. And it was a hospital, very tall, and pastor had to have emergency gallbladder, and a man sent us there to have the surgery. And we were there for a very long time. I, I remember, like Paul, being numbered with people who did not have it all together. Sometimes God, listen to me, will allow you because you know what? People know about Mark, Luke, and John, but what they want to know, they want to get their hands on some flesh and blood that has made it through something and is talking about how they made it through. They love the book of John. That was powerful. The book of Acts, Hebrew, and Revelation. There is power and light just at the entrance of his word. But I'm going to tell you, when the word takes residence in a vessel like you and I, and someone can grab hold of us, flesh and blood, and we can say, I came out of homosexuality. Yes, I did. Say what you want to say. I came out of pornography. Say what you want to say. I came out of drug addiction. I came out of being an adulteress. You see, we want to clamp shut every testimony of what we have seen and heard in our own lives because we have gotten way too religious for who we need to be. Every time I go to Hope House, I tell some of your testimonies that you don't tell. Oh, I don't tell your name, but I say I got a spiritual son blah 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 I got a spiritual daughter blah 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 because I don't know if you'll tell it a lot of people I'm talking about may not be here I don't know if you're going to tell it and I'm not going to tell your name but I'm going to say yeah she used to be an alcoholic she tried to kill herself but I saw and I heard as the glory of God healed her saved her delivered her and she's doing great today and an incredible businesswoman and blessed beyond measure and if God can do that for her then God can do that for you because I'm going to tell you people around you God has positioned you so they can get their hands on you and touch somebody that you're testifying of the things you've seen and heard oh but we're too busy we're too burdened we're too overwhelmed that we can barely get up in the morning and God is saying take a fresh new look and remember I numbered you with some people so you would have compassion you see when Paul was in stocks when he was in the lower prison when he and Silas were beaten and bloody and their skin was like hamburger. You want to know why you have faced depression? Well, I can't tell you every reason you faced it, but I can tell you what he wants to do through it. He wants you to have compassion for someone that's depressed. You know why you went through that relationship that you sinned and you got involved in sex outside of marriage and you felt like a piece of goods, used goods that God could never use again. You know what that was for? The four, it wasn't the four that God got you in there, but when you got in there, God was waiting in the lower prison for you. You see, prisons don't scare our Father. Prisons don't scare our God. There's some people, and oh, I feel him with me this morning. Thank you, Lord. There are some people right now that are bloodied, and they are bruised, and they are hiding in their houses. People that call this their home. They're so bloody, their hands are beaten beyond recognition. Their minds are beaten, but what they don't realize, God was waiting in the prison for 
when they got there and what God is going to do to redeem it, he's going to let them testify about that which they have seen and that which they have heard. We are not done testifying in this house of what we have seen and what we have heard. And we've had great, come on somebody. Come on, somebody. We've had great testimonies in the past, but whatever this church, whatever face this looks like, whatever name this becomes, whatever flow this venue might become in the future, I'm going to tell you this. Church of the Harvest, whatever it's called, whatever it looks like, whatever is above it, beneath it, below it, and behind it, I'm going to tell you this, church body, we will continue to testify of the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. Don't be scared of the AIDS is what we should say to somebody. We need somebody to stand up here during transition and tell a packed house, yes, I have AIDS and I am not dead. And yes, I was a homosexual. But let me tell you what I can testify of what I have seen and I have heard. I am no longer in the lower prison, but I am standing upright and full of faith. And if God did this for me, then God can do that for you. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. When I was at City of Faith, we were there for nine weeks, and uh, Oral Roberts just was a genius, and I asked Cheryl Pruitt and Harry um, Salem when they were here, Cheryl Pruitt, Miss America, 1980, I said, Cheryl, why? Why Why didn't City of Faith make it? Said, because Christians didn't want to pay. Said, Christians wanted to come and receive surgical care under anointed people that would give you a word of knowledge. The, the, the doctor that operated on Patrick gave him a word of knowledge before he went into surgery. How many would like that? And these are skilled trained. I don't want someone to give me a word of knowledge I hadn't been to school. Come on, somebody. I mean, I want them cutting on me. The word of knowledge is thankful. Don't cut. Don't put me under anesthesia unless you've had the proper training. Amen. And all of these had. And um, he said, because, you know, Christians want it for free. They didn't want to support a great work of God. And it turned in, into a cancer research now, which is wonderful as well. God had plans but in that, Or Roberts built um, rooms, and they're like hospital rooms. But we were there eight or nine weeks. We didn't own a house at that time. I don't believe we even, we, I think we owned a car. We owned a car. We didn't own a house. We didn't have any children. We'd only been remarried for about a year. And a uh, pastor had some complications. He couldn't eat. And so we were there for about eight and a half, nine weeks. And uh, where I stayed with, was like a gathering of hospital rooms. I stayed in a hospital room myself. It was my room. Beside me was a woman that her hands and her feet were so shriveled in the next room to me. We were all like in a little, I don't know how to say it, corridor, like hallway, like little cluster. Besides, her hands and her feet were shriveled up. Besides her was a woman, her child was dying. Beside her was a woman that I can't even tell her situation. It would be nauseating. I'm afraid of you in a public platform, so I shall not share the details. But it was nauseating what her body was doing. Every night after sitting in a hospital room for weeks and weeks, not having a job or anything, um, I would sit in that room. I would pray all day. I sometimes would venture over to that, but I, over to the ORU campus for maybe just a walk. But I just stayed there, and we believed. But I'd come back, and I would sit with those people. And I didn't know at that time what the Lord was going to do with my life. I had no idea, Hope House Girls. I knew I'd been called. At that time, I just sang for Pastor Preach, and I saw this tapes. I didn't know, I just knew it was his wife. And, and that's what a godly wife does, is she believes. And I would go back and I would sit with that group and I would encourage them. And some of them just come from unbelievable different backgrounds than me. But, you know, during that season, God was allowing me. It says that Jesus was numbered. Everyone say numbered with the transgressors. I'm not saying those people were transgressors. But see, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. When you go into a prison, you get a number. 
Jesus was numbered. That means he was, in people's eyes, he was numbered. He was one of the transgressors. But it was so that Hebrews writer could say, we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but in all points, he was tempted as we are. And he hears us and he's ever interceding. I believe he was numbered with the transgressors upon Calvary. So he would be a perfect and holy high priest who knows how to pray for you on your darkest day. Your mama may be praying for you. Your pastors may be praying praying for you, your brothers, but there's no one that can pray for you like the son of the mighty God who sits at the right hand of God almighty. And scripture says he ever lives. He does nothing else, but lives moment by moment, second by second. We can't pray five minutes. He prays every second interceding for those that belong to him, which is you and I. You see, I believe those times at City of Faith, the so many experiences I couldn't tell you. And I've had many since then numbered me with people. It put me in a group of people. My dear friend Gail's son recently got hooked on drugs and had to go and Gail went down to a with a family all gathered. It was shocking for her. She comes from another church in this city and uh, more fundamental in their beliefs and Gail went down to it and, and, and Gail told me she said I, d- I didn't know I, d- I didn't know and, and she just she cried for a couple of weeks and then she faced some depression because she didn't know there was darkness and I ran into her one day at Cook's and we don't get together outside of the place that we go together, which I will leave nameless right now where we meet three times a week and I met her there and, and I knew she was depressed and I got in the car and I began to pray for her and I told Pastor, my friend Gail is utterly depressed and she I called her and I said, Gail, can I pray with you? And she said, Rhonda, I went down there and said, I've been so sheltered. She didn't even receive Christ until 911. She sat in a church all her life across town here and never knew Jesus and after 911, after all that happened in the inner prison of her fear and her loneliness, she got on her knees in her bedroom and she called unto Jesus and she called her husband who owns a very reputable company in this city. We become friends, Pastor, I'm with them, love them. They love us. We support each other. And then she called him and said, you need to come home. I've just had a Damascus Road experience. I don't know how to tell you this, but I have not been serving your Jesus, Larry. I have not been serving him. I've been going to church. I've had a face, but I didn't know it. But today he met me here in this bedroom. She got saved on that. Come on, somebody. That right there is worth praising God for right there that God can use whatever inner prison he wants to use. We want to save people from inner prisons. God wants to make them into something else in the inner prison. We want to save them. We want to do anything to save them, the struggle, the problem. Because a lot of times we're connected and we don't want to go through it with them. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, she's not talking to you. She is not talking to you. We don't want to go through it with them. And we want to save them. But she told me when I prayed with her that day, she said, I didn't know those things existed. You know, since then, I've been talking to her about Hope House. I said, go with me. It's not like what you saw. Go with me someday. But since then, such compassion has flown into her life. And she's starting to help this homeless man. And, and you know, I know God put me in this. She said, Rhonda, I've never known a woman preacher. She goes to church and I believe in women preachers. You can't even get up and read the word. <laughs> Where she goes, a huge church in this city. She's, she got all my DVDs. Or she's following me. She's like thinking she's going to start her ministry. I mean, you know, this is just crazy. This is a stay-at-home wife of a very wealthy man in the city. Great family. 
because she says, I'm ready. She's mentioned this homeless man. You see, through that inner prison, sometimes the dark places that God allows you to go through, come on, somebody. Sometimes the dark places he allows the people you're connected to go through is for you to end up somewhere with a compassion that you would have never had. You see, it is your story. It is your heart. It is your life saying to somebody, God saw me through that. And today I'm not looking down on you. I'm not looking religious at you. You see, you've got to share your life. Someone give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Wendy, if you'll come back up and start playing with me, I've just got a few more minutes. This is what's so powerful. A few minutes is relative, so maybe about 15, okay? Not two. Don't get that in your brain. I just want her to play. You see, we begin to care in the inner prison. But I think the problem with some of us is we forget those moments. We forget what it felt like, and that compassion is not there. One thing I know about pastors, he shares his life. He shares his life. I more share my gifts sometimes. When people describe me, preaching is always the number one thing. That's good and that's bad. That's always the first thing they say, oh my God, she can preach. And I appreciate that from some of the greatest people on earth. But when they talk about pastor, he shares his life. He shares his life. And I think about that often when I'm on a plane. Recently, as two drunk, very good-looking men about my age, I think maybe a little younger, not sure, came and sat down by me and tried to woozy up toward me, you know. And I was just kind. I was just, Pastor says, I give them this, don't bother, I'll slap you into next week. And, and of course, at this age, I'm just pleased that anyone looks twice these days. I'm sorry, people. But um, so I was, uh, I was uh, working on my notes and... Uh, the guy, you know, so I just kind of really got into my notes. And uh, Pastor would have already, you know, won them. Before the wheels got off, he'd have been singing and praying, and they'd have been rejoicing. And But I was just, just thought, oh, I ain't dealing with y'all drunk boys. And uh, so we got near the, the end, and the guy re- ringed over, and he goes, you're a religious person, aren't you? And I said, no, not at all. He goes, you're not? I go, no, no. Oh, no, I'm not. No, uh-uh. No, you know I am not. He goes, well, I looked at your notes when you weren't looking. You're reading. I, I can recognize that. It's the Bible. I went to church. I said, oh, no, I'm not religious. Religious kill Jesus, and they kill people. I'm not religious. I, I follow Jesus. I, I try to follow Christ, you know. So we, we started talking. He kind of warmed up, and he goes, uh, so we get off the plane as we're leaving and going off the thing. He begins to tell me. He goes, I'm just going to tell you. You know, I just want to confess, because I, I, shared, I shared our life. I shared our life. I shared my husband's life. I shared his drug addiction. I shared that he's whole. I shared our marriage. I shared the crumble. When we got off, he said, thank you for sharing that with me. He said, I'm going here to drink for two days because I'm fighting custody with my ex-wife. I just got nothing to live for. He goes, I can't believe that you have a story of restoration. He said, thank you. You've given me hope. And I said, well, you know what? It's the God of hope who has given you hope. And then he says, thank you so much. You me. He goes, I'm just going to tell you, when my friend and I walked down the aisle and we saw you from a distance, with your glasses on, we thought we were going to be able to sit by Sarah Palin, and we were so excited. <laughs> and I said, are you still disappointed? 2012, baby. No. Um, he said, no, you shared your life. That's, I think, you know, preaching will end one day. The things that we see on TV, they, things are changing. Things are changing. That's why 
everything will change, but your life story will never change. And sometimes we think I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding and I'm bruised and I'm broken. And Paul was not in the conditions that he wanted to save a life. Who is? Who is in the conditions? Worst moments of my life, I'll come from my bedroom downstairs. Some of the worst nights of my life of either physical sickness or dealing with things or worry or fear or whatever that we all face as a people. And I'll walk down to the den and they start being, I'll be the one preaching. And I'll just look and I think, oh, that, what the heck? That's crazy. And the Lord will say, huh, isn't it funny? Even in your bleeding moments, your story is helping people's lives. God wants all of you. God wants your story. God wants the bleeding, broken parts. They're bleeding. They're broken. Because you see, to be more than a conqueror is to take land for other people and to say, you can have this as well. Paul wasn't in the mood for a miracle. He's in stocks. Nazareth wasn't the place for a miracle. Nazareth stunk. Nazareth had a bunch of wild animals. Nazareth was not a place at the center of spiritual activity. But guess what? God came there anyway to a woman. You may not be living this morning in the center of spiritual activity. You may not feel like that you're, you haven't fasted. You haven't prayed. You don't want to help anybody because you feel you're not there. Let me assure you, God is always in the miracle mood because miracles have to do with Him and Him alone. God is always ready to encourage the bleeding and the broken because miracles flourish in the worst of conditions. And in that bleeding, broken state, Paul shares his life. How does he do that? There they are in stocks. All they did was cast a demon out of a fortune teller who was giving them great advertisements. She was possessed with demons and good ones. Demons that could tell everything about everybody. Demons that could say, your name is Josh. Your name is Bob. You ever been around demon possession going out? Some demons knowing all that. It's not the most pleasant experience. And this demon knew everything. And he was yelling out, these are mighty holy men of God. Listen to them. They have salvation. The amazing thing is that Paul could have cared, could have not cared about her as a person. He could have not shared his life with her. He could have let her because she was great advertisement. It's like the greatest fortune teller in planet Earth that's getting a, a high accuracy saying, listen to Franklin Graham. Listen to Billy Graham. Listen to Bishop Jakes. Listen. But he cared more for her as a person. He cast the demon out of her. Finally, it says that Paul was just over her. She had gotten on her, his last nerve. And he finally just turned around and said, come out. The demon left her. Was that a great miracle setup? Was that girl crying out, deliver me? Was she at a church service saying, kumbaya, my Lord, I exalt thee. Oh, worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. No, that was not conditions for a miracle. But the man of God shared his life and his anointing outside of the pulpit, outside of the church service, in the marketplace. Someone say amen. Bad news is he gets put in jail over it because her owners are furious. She's making them big money. Scripture says big money. So there he is with stocks on his feet. There he is, bleeding body. There he is. And you look at him. I want you to look at you right now. I want you to look at who you are right now. Your bleeding parts, your bruised parts, your inner dark parts. Look at those right now. 
Look at those. They don't look like perfect conditions for a miracle. They don't look like perfect conditions for you to save a life. But guess what? God would rather you at 30% whole tell someone at zero and get their life saved than for you to wait till you're 100% Yankee Doodle Dandy because you ain't never going to be 100% Yankee Doodle Dandy. Come on, somebody. God would rather you share your life, some of the greatest things that have been written, some of the greatest stories that have been told have come from broken men. Even Monet, Monet, the great artist, the great painter, I read one of his quotes yesterday on somebody I follow on Twitter. It wasn't Max. Well, Misha, I was thinking when you're out there, I'll be following you and him on Twitter. But one of them quoted Monet as saying, everything I've done in my life is a failure. And I'm going to destroy every painting and go somewhere and die. This is Monet who painted some of the most beautiful pieces of art, art in the world. Let me tell you, my dear friends, in the moments that you feel like, in the dark places that everything has been a failure, your next tapestry may have already begun in the hands of the great artist and he is not done with you yet somebody give him praise in this house and we'll bring this to an end he shared his life in a moment we're going to take communion and we're going to let you all come up and we're going to give you a fresh opportunity to surrender your life once again a fresh opportunity but listen, what did he do? He began to share his life. He began to worship. He began to share who he was and what God had done. I don't know if he's saying, I worship you, almighty God. I mean, we see him just tambourines and Jehovah Jireh dancing and screaming. I don't know if it was like that. Come on, somebody. I don't know if that's the song you sing when you're in the inner prison. Very rarely have I sung that song in the inner prison. But I don't know if it was something just like, I worship you. You've been faithful to me. With his hands in stock. And all of a sudden, it says that the jail began to shake. And it said an earthquake came. Why? Because I believe that Paul took himself somewhere that he could not go. Listen to this line of a song we're going to listen to in a moment when we take communion. Take me to your chamber where your beauty is all I see. The place where nothing else matters but to give you all of me. Take me, Lord, to your chamber. I might be in a place of great victory in my life. I might be in a place of great darkness. I might be in an inner prison of soul where God is refining me and testing me and changing me. One of my elders told me, Pastor Billy, Rhonda, you're there again. God is sawing on you. He's refining you. You're crying a lot. You're hurting a lot. But God is polishing you. He's shaping you. He said, don't worry about what's happening. Worry when it's not happening that's when you need to worry worry when you don't feel the hand of the refiner refining you and preparing you for the next thing you see in that moment of worship the jail began to shake in that moment in the inner prison he 
his shackles fell off. In that moment, Joanne, the jail's prisoner's shackles fell off. Listen to me. These are the same guys, some on death row, some falsely accused, who saw Paul and Silas come down the corridor and falsely accused, they thought, who have they killed? Who have they murdered? Never let what other people appraise about moments in your life stop you from sharing your life story. Stop you from telling what God has done for you. They may appraise of you and make verdicts towards you, but Paul and Silas didn't let them stop them. They began to sing, and when they did, it says every prisoner's shackles fell off. I'm going to tell you something. When you get free, when you worship in the lower prison, I believe in some lower prisons. What are you talking about, Petron? I'm not sure. This is just all coming to me. I don't know. For some of you, you're being refined. For some of you, you're in the hard press of believing God for some things. For some of you, in the hard press of finances, the hard press of going things going on with your children. I'm going to tell you, in there, in that place, God is developing a word. I mean, an encouragement, a life, a song that's going to take the shackles off of other people's lives. And the earthquake of God's power is going to redeem more than just you. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. And so let me tell you, that worship begins to go up. God is building some things. He was waiting there. At every point, God is waiting for you. All he wanted was all of Paul. All he wants is all of you, Dean. All he wants is all of you. Your brokenness, Tiffany. You're bleeding. You're 30% whole. Your testimony of what you've seen. Your life story. Pastor gets slammed with Facebook posts every week. Privately, because I read all of his private ones and his public ones. Of people from 18 years ago. They said, you, Hank Davis, changed my life with your life. Living your life. You see, we are to share our life. That we've been strategically positioned in our businesses. We've been strategically positioned in the places we think we're just going. I've learned there's no coincidence with God when good things come out of it. I've learned there's no just happenstance that you're there working. You see, when you go to that job, God is in there waiting. He's forming a life. He's forming something that can break off the shackles. And all he said was, Paul, I want all of you. That's why the enemy seeks to destroy your story. He doesn't want someone to grab hold of you. What did Paul say? The soldier came in and he saw that the prisoners are all set free. And it's totally dark and he can't see anything. And the the keeper of the prison lifts a sword to kill himself. Because he knows this means his sudden death that they have escaped. He was warned. And at that moment, Paul yells out, Do yourself no harm. We are called in this 21st century, in 2011, Keith, we are called to say to others, do yourself no harm. Don't you dare kill yourself. Don't you dare waste your life in depression. Don't you dare waste your life in homosexuality. Don't you dare think that this divorce is going to take you out. Don't you dare think that this bankruptcy is going to take you under. Do yourself no harm. You see me and many others, we are still here operating in faith and victory and holding on to the word of God. Do I got somebody that will agree with me this morning? We are all here. We all are here. 
to yourself, Navarre. I don't know who God is calling you to in a moment. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Jason to come up and they'll give you a tray and a cup if you will stand with that. And um, go ahead and do that, Pastor Jason, and get into position. Brother Mike, if you would come, Davis, and stand and take one of those. Are there two or three, Marissa? Would you hold up fingers? Is there three? Okay, and Brother Mike. And, um, and we'll do that. And just to shake things up, Misha, why don't you come and hold one? Let's get a woman of God up here. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning, in just a moment, we're going to fresh take communion. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to play this song. It goes, and then about halfway through, a man starts praying over you, and then he goes back in song. But it says, take me to your chamber where your beauty is all I see. You see what Paul did? Watch this. He's sitting in stocks and chains, but he knows that Ephesians says, we are seated in heavenly places. You see, when I was living with a drug addict and life was hell, there was moments that I could take myself somewhere I was not. You see, mind enthusiasts do that, and Eastern religion do that. We don't do that like that. We worship. And in the inner chamber of where God is changing us and forming us and doing things in our life, in those inner chambers where God is placing things in us, we can in those moments be lifted up out of that prison. Hope House girls, on the days that seem the darkest or the weariest, you can begin to worship and God can take you to his chamber where the only thing that matters is him and the only thing that he asks of you is to give him all of you. All of you. Every bit. Every bit. Your life story is powerful. God has strategically placed you and positioned you. I know this is different, but as this song is going, I'm going to ask you not to just sit down. If you need to because of physical reasons, absolutely. But I'm going to ask you to make a place of worship on your knees or standing. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, fresh surrender. Here is all of me. I, I need you to take me to your chamber. Your chamber means, Lord, that intimate place with you. Where all I see is you and all that really matters in this moment is not how much is in my checkbook. All that really matters in this moment is not my kid who's still away from you. All that really matters in this moment is not the 60% not healed that I'm not healed. Mentally, emotionally. All that really matters in this moment is that I give you all of me. Because when you give him all of you with a fresh, a fresh commission, a fresh surrender, a fresh moment, a fresh, holy, sovereign moment. Lift your hands all over this house right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your anointing in this room. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. I thank you and I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Love you so much, sir. I thank you. I thank you that these hands are lifted, Lord, that these are hands that you are fashioning in the secret places of their heart. Men and women, young women and young men, older men and women who have a word of healing, a song. The Lord, prisons they've been in the past, which are just moments when you're working on us. We're going through a place. It may be dryness for some of us. It feels like a prison. It may be questions and answers that we don't have to those questions. It may be something we've been praying for a long time. It may be those around us that are in the lower places, Lord. And we cannot pull them up. And sometimes it's overwhelming and we're numbered right there with them, Lord. 
And God, sometimes we have forgotten the compassion that you showed us in former days. We've forgotten to testify of the things that we have seen and heard in our own life, Lord. And Lord Jesus, if these hands are lifted, I pray as we take communion, the body that is your body that was broken. When you gave all of your body, when nothing else mattered in the garden, and nothing else mattered at Calvary, you said to do this often. You said to do this often, to often take communion, to remember that all that mattered to you, that you gave all that you were to God. We are not you, Jesus. We are following you, but we feel so far from where you are. But today, with words of our mouth and of our heart, Lord, we ask cleansing of us, forgiveness, Lord, for anything that we've traveled through this week. We ask for your mercy for us. And Lord, fresh, we pray that as we take of this blood, the bleeding that came from you, that we know the parts in us where we're still bleeding, the doubt in us we're still bleeding, the addiction that we're not completely free of, Lord, the worry we're not completely free of, the depression, the bitterness, whatever it is, Lord, the wounds from the past, from a broken relationship deviations and paths that we've taken Lord that we're not completely healed as we take of your blood we pray for fresh strength fresh strength to share our life story and boldness that we would be a church Lord that our story can be changed Lord you know the impact that our story and marriage passion I have on generations Lord in this nation Lord I thank you for the impact that every man and woman have Lord we come fresh to surrender so, Lord, as we get ready, in just a moment, we come, Lord. We shut out everything. In fact, Lord, I would just ask that you would allow us just to see us walking ourselves one by one to communion, taking the bread, dipping in the juice, and taking it and saying, nothing matters, Lord, but that I give you all of me. All of me, Lord, then my marriage is going to be okay. If I give you all of me, my job is going to be okay. If I give you all of me, I can share my life. I want to save a life, Lord. This jail and this whole family was believed on you Lord they became saved from seeing this kind of faith they said what must I do to know the God that you know and Lord they were baptized Lord there's people in this city that are waiting for people in this church to tell their story to be baptized Lord and Lord some of us today need to in proxy take communion for some other people Lord I just felt that by your Holy Spirit for some bruised and bleeding parts of our body that their stories have great impact upon darkness and they're wrestling in the thrones of hell today. Lord, I pray that we would save a life through sharing our story in Jesus' name. And church, this is what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to start this.